The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry podcast. This is Harry Margolis, and this is the podcast where we interview experts on all aspects of estate planning. On this episode of Ask Harry, Harry talks with Toby Gerard on the subject of long-term care insurance. Toby, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, Harry. I hope we can do a deep dive into long-term care insurance. And I guess first, if you could just say what it is, what is long-term care insurance? Sure. So long-term care insurance is pretty much the insurance protection that comes into play when almost everything in the medical arena, I think, has been exhausted. So it's not primary health insurance. It's not Medicare. It's not a Medicare supplement. Um, it It is the coverage that covers chronic care, whether that care is received at home, assisted living, adult day, nursing home, in a hospice setting. And most of the time when people are using it, they're not expected to get better. That's why it's more chronic than acute. And uh, and it, it pays for all those settings, but in the past it didn't, did it? It, it, it uh, only paid for nursing homes or uh, maybe home care? Right. So I think in the early policies, first of all, assisted living has only been around for like 25 you know, years or so. So the early policies were nursing home only, and there was a few companies that were home care only. Nowadays, all of the policies are comprehensive in nature, so they cover that full continuum of care of all those settings that I just mentioned. That's good. So... Um, so my my issues with long-term care insurance, and I should say first that I, I have it, my wife has it. Okay, great. So even though we have these issues, I have these issues is um, a couple things. One is it's expensive. Mm-hmm. So, um, so sometimes, uh, so the question is, is it worth the money, spending the money, and kind of who can afford it and who can't? And two, it's complicated. So yes. there's so many different benefits and so many different companies, and they offer different uh, – uh, different benefits and different standards and uh, and how how much you got to choose how much coverage you want a day for how many days for what's the elimination period right and um so that so i guess i want to talk about all that stuff okay. so so i guess okay. why don't we talk start with who should who should buy long-term care insurance and, and when should they do it i think who should and who did are probably two different profiles when the mm-hmm. The product was introduced, which, depending upon which company you listen to, it was probably back in the early 70s. It was definitely um, a grandma coverage. It was a s- deep into the senior age cohort. Mm-hmm. A lot of our clients were 75 and up. We had a company that wrote until age 99. Wow. So I think if you fast forward to who's buying it now, that that is not the profile at all. It's mostly baby boomers and younger. Mm-hmm. And it's also a much more affluent buyer. I think at one time, you know, if we could use the term middle America, mm-hmm. it was more middle Americans that were buying this coverage because it was reasonably priced. Um, it wasn't actuarially soundly priced, but it was reasonably <laughs> priced. And people could afford it that were not affluent. Speed up in time again, it's so expensive now, long-term care insurance. Why is it so much more expensive? Because they finally figured out how to price it. I think having been in the insurance industry for 40 years, one of the things is whenever you introduce a new line of insurance, if you have no claims data, you have no idea what the frequency and severity of claims are going to be, and in this case you had no actuarial data, you were just putting some pricing out there for a new product, and it was not sustainable. And the companies now are retrenching in mm-hmm. the form of rate increases. But what they've also learned, because we're probably in our third generation, is how they need to price it 
actuarially because they are paying claims and they have that data and in a certain sense shame on them if they're not using it properly so that has made the product much more costly Mm -hmm. but i think it's much more right price than it ever was at any other time in its history i I know i've had clients who have older policies who sometimes have have had trouble uh, getting the benefit Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe we can talk about that a little bit later sure but it sounds like partly that's a result of the being too cheap in effect before when they bought it well i think getting the benefit and claiming we can definitely talk about you know what is the definition of a claim sometimes that becomes problematic because in most cases the children are going to be the ones that are going to administer the claim because the parents purchased it the children were not part of the sale and now these children have to get up to speed on a policy that they have no idea the way it works Mm -hmm. so Knowing how you can claim benefits is very, very important for the adult adult children to know because they're the ones that are going to have to get involved with the insurance company. So I believe legitimate companies pay legitimate claims. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, in our state, we've always had legitimate companies, not so much the same in other states. But a legitimate claim has to meet the definition of what is making someone eligible for benefits, which Mm -hmm. we can talk about a little bit later on. So now it's it's much more expensive. Yes. So most people can't afford it. Is that right? <laughs> a lot of people can't afford it. So I think the window has changed. Okay. And financial advisors, they may not all agree, but I think they all agree that the window has changed as to who's buying it. And mm-hmm. I think when I look at it, I say people that have assets of at least a million, some might say on, on the low end, a million five. Including the house or not including the house? Not including the house. Not including the house, okay. And on the other end, five five million, some make it even go up to seven and a half. So uh-huh. we could go this anywhere from a million to seven and a half or a million five to in, five million. In investable but, assets, correct. basically. Correct. Those uh-huh. people should be looking at long-term care so insurance. So that's definitely an affluent Group. Absolutely. It's an app. And we have had some financial advisors that recommend it to all their clients, even if they're in excess of five or seven and a half million, because they believe for those people, it's small money to protect big dollars. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what, what, okay, well, I'll get to this question in a bit, but at what age should you buy it? Okay. So I don't think there's an actual age, Harry. I think there's a life situation or a life set of circumstances. So if we go with that, we all go through life events. What I see with people coming to me, and they could be anywhere from 52 to 72, Mm -hmm. it's where they are in their life. In other words, did they have their children young? Are those kids done with college? Are those weddings gone by? So that heavy expense dream is over, and they can now look at themselves again and say, what do we need? Or did they enter into having children late? And all of that got pushed back, so they Mm -hmm. could be in their late 60s when they're looking at it, and someone else could be 53. So I think most people, if they've had children, those children are grown or they're finishing college. Maybe Mm -hmm. they've had the weddings and everything. But it's the first time in their lives they're starting to look at themselves again and what their needs are versus somebody else's needs. Uh Interesting. So it's probably 50s and 60s. Yes. And actually, that is kind of rule of thumb I used to tell clients, which is uh, while your kids are young, mm-hmm. um, you should have an ample amount of life insurance. Correct. And then after they're independent, hopefully, right? Um, except for these boomerang situations, but yes. um, then they uh, um, then that that money you've been spending on life insurance, maybe now you put it towards long term care insurance. 
That and that's very very true because most of the time, even if people have bought life insurance, some of the term life insurance has, you know, been terminated. Mm -hmm. um, many times, and we can talk about this after with the hybrid policies. You'll see people that have significant cash value built up in a life insurance policy that they could repurpose to doing something for themselves rather than it being the life insurance that was needed exactly when you said when the kids were younger. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the, we got it. The age. Um, how, how much are the premiums usually, or what's the range of premiums for long-term care insurance? You know, it's all over the map because there's really two sets of criteria that define pricing. So you, you, can, you can certainly give some generalities based upon age, marital status, and plan design. But I think what's most important when people say, well, what does it cost for a 55-year-old? Mm -hmm. I need to know, is that 55-year-old male or single? I need to know if they have a partner. Mm -hmm. I need to know what their health is, and I need to know their gender. So right there, there's no average 55-year-old. Mm -hmm. Then I need to know, like you had said earlier, well, what, what are they buying? What's the daily or monthly benefit? What's the number of years? What's the inflation? What's the elimination period? And there's no average because you've got two different sets of criteria. One are almost lifestyle criteria, and one are almost purchasing criteria. So is it less expensive? Clearly, it's less expensive if, if you're younger. Yes, it's always less expensive than you're, you're younger when you're younger. But what you're really buying into when you're younger more than anything else is your health. If, mm -hmm. if we go through our 40s, most people are in good health. Their yeah. 50s, also usually good. Start moving into your 60s, some stuff starts developing. And by 70s, most of my people, when they apply, they're uninsurable. Okay. You know, they get declined. So you've got to find that right age where your health is going to trump everything else. And that's what I look for. I know there's medical underwritings. Do they also have some kind of rating so that affects your premiums? Yes. So it used to be, I think the underwriting of years ago was very, very liberal. Mm -hmm. I think they picked up a lot of adverse selection because they didn't drill down that deep. Now it's significantly more medically underwritten. And some of your family health history may come into play that mm. really didn't come into play before. So with most companies, if you're looking at traditional long-term care, and, and we'll differentiate a little later in the program yeah. the difference between traditional and hybrid, traditional long-term care is generally going to go back and get a copy of your medical records. They're going to get that through a HIPAA release that's in the application. They're going to do a phone interview with you. And if you're over a certain age, they're going to send a nurse out mm -hmm. to do that assessment in yeah. person. And you're going to do an application, whether it's online or in person. So you're going to take that application, that phone interview or that nurse's visit, and your medical records, pull it all together, hand it off to an underwriter who's going to look at everything and then make a business decision. And to your point, he or she will then decide this person deserves to be approved at the preferred best you know, rate class because their health is exceptional. Mm -hmm. This person is good, you know, but not good enough for that. So, you know, there's their kind of standard or the language that's the equivalent of standard. And then we have a risk that we don't want to decline it, but we need to get more money. Mm -hmm. So we're going to surcharge it or, or rate it. We don't know that going in. We know it once it's approved. And then it's our job to convey that to the client. You know, it's always the good news mm -hmm. is, you know, you're in great health. Yeah. The not great news is you thought you were in standard health, but the insurance company found some stuff in your medical records that they're concerned about. So that's more like life insurance now. Yes. In terms in terms of the, the differential rates. Yes. Okay. So um, we talked about lots of different. Um, there, there's when you buy and who's buying it. Right. Um, it, does being married lower the 
lower the premium? So having a partner lowers the premium. Whether you're married to that partner or not. And that depends upon the company. So um, in general, the traditional companies are pretty liberal on their definition of a partner. Mm -hmm. Some of the hybrid companies are a little more specific about, you know, marriage, civil union, domestic partnership, and things like that. Again, I think that's the job of the specialist to dig into that a little bit about that couple and say how long have you been living together you're sharing expenses and things like that because you want to get them the most discounts possible and there's a significant discount if you apply together as a couple sometimes you have one member of a couple who's declined they might apply together you've pre-qualified their health so it looks like from what you've pre-qualified they sound good and then something shows up in their medical records that's just not the way they presented it or the way they understood it. I don't think people go out of their way to be fraudulent about their health history, but I think sometimes they definitely present it differently than how it is. I think what we consider good health, or what many times I would say by myself, I'm in good health, Mm -hmm. an underwriter doesn't look at it the same way. So then you get a declination, and one person's approved. And it's a tough one because emotionally, the normal response is, if I'm not good enough, then so-and-so is not good enough. Mm-hmm. None of us want it. Right. The rational uh, response, which sometimes takes a few days um, business-wise, is I realize now if my spouse is uninsurable, we absolutely should take the policy for me or, or vice versa because insuring one of us is still better than having no coverage and being bare. But then you lose that discount, unfortunately. You lose some of the discount. So depending on the company, some mm-hmm. companies will give you a partial discount if even one part. For being in a relationship. That is correct, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And is, are the rates different for men and women? The rates are vastly different oh. for men and women. And that changed, I want to say, at least five years ago. They used to be unisex, mm-hmm. and now they went to gender-based. So because women do file, you know, the statistics says two-thirds of all long-term care insurance claims, they now charge more for women. Mm-hmm. So the worst rate is going to be for a single woman who does not have a partner. Uh-huh. Wow. That's really difficult when we get that call. It's like, ugh, I know yeah. this is not going to be good. But a single woman who has a partner, you know, that's going to, that variance will help a little bit. And and a, and a man with a partner is going to be the lowest. Rate yes, exactly. Because the woman is more likely to take care of the man. Ex- exactly. And also the man is more likely to drop dead sooner. That could be true. <laughs> but, you know, two gay men, you know, yeah. bring them on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They'll still have a good rating? Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. That, that, and that's not actually the profile of, it's very, very rare that we see gay men purchase long-term care insurance, mm-hmm. but very common to see gay women, huh. which is interesting to me. And I just wonder if that's gender roles of female-based nurturing kind of a thing. Probably. And, and they just know they're more likely to live longer. Could be one of one, one or the other of them. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so, uh, so we started talking about the different features of policies. Yes. And uh, you have uh, how much is your daily benefit? How how uh, how many years or days right. it's going to pay for? Um, and uh, elimination periods. Right. I don't know if you just an inflation rider you mentioned. Sure. You just talk about all those and then how you just decide because sure. there's so many variables. And that's really, Harry, where the pricing goes up or down and becomes mm-hmm. all over the map because you could buy the most basic, basic coverage or you could buy the most robust coverage. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're always going to be selecting a daily, monthly benefit. And that daily or monthly benefit is basically the commitment on the part of the insurance company as to how much they're willing to pay out towards the price of your care. Um, if your care is less than your benefit, well, that's good. You don't lose it. It stays mm-hmm. in your policy or in your pool of money. If it's more than, your care is more than what you purchase, then 
you're on the hook for whatever that overage is so, to self fund. So let me just interrupt you on on the, on the just to clarify this. Sure. So let's say I have two hundred dollars a day of coverage mm-hmm. for two years, mm-hmm. and if I start using it and I'm only using hundred dollars a day, it's not that after two years a hundred dollars a day I'm out of luck. I still have that pool of cover, half half the benefit available. Yes. So yes. in a way. The, uh, the the amount of time is not a, a limit; it's a daily benefit limit, or you know, in effect. Yes, it's it winds up really being the lifetime maximum or the pool of money that trumps everything. Mm-hmm. So, and that's just a, a simple multiplication of two hundred dollars a day times three hundred sixty-five times two. And you're right; if you were in Massachusetts, you might be using two hundred a day, but you could be in Florida. Maybe you're using a hundred. You didn't lose it. It's just going to last instead of two years. It could last four. So it's important, you know, just to understand that the language, the the years, isn't really the deciding factor. It's the dollars that are in that pool or that lifetime maximum. So do you counsel people to get a higher daily benefit and a shorter uh, benefit period? So I think some of it, you know, we have this language in our industry called short and fat versus long and lean. Uh-huh. I'm a short and fat kind of a mm-hmm. kind of a person because I believe I'd rather have my clients self-fund less on the front end rather than have a policy that doesn't have enough daily or monthly benefit, but it's a lot of years, they may never get to the back end. Mm -hmm. So I go for, if I have to work within a budget, a strong budget, I'm going to try to do more dollars per day or dollars per month, shorter period of time versus less dollars and more years. Mm -hmm. Again, this is the issue the policies of yesteryear, you could buy a lifetime unlimited benefit and 5% compound inflation for small money. Mm-hmm. It's just not an easy it's thing to do. It's too expensive to do that it is, now. It is. So you've got your, you know, your dollar or monthly benefit, your number of years, which generally um, in most states is going to be two years to lifetime. You know, mm-hmm. We still have at least one company that does lifetime. There are other states, you know, we're here in Mass, but in other states they have something called short-term care which are policies that are like a year in, mm-hmm. in length. And we don't have that in Massachusetts, but sometimes that's an option for real budget. It's also an option if there's some health issues because the underwriting's different. But it, it is a very different premium to go from a two-year to a five-year to a lifetime. So you might want to spreadsheet that so that uh-huh. the person understands the trade-offs. Yeah. Inflation, I believe, is huge, especially if we're talking to people that are looking at this in their 50s and 60s, and we don't expect they're going to use it until maybe their mid to late 80s, maybe 90s. Yeah, it could be 30 or more, more right. years. Wow. Right. So you, you know, you've got to add that value of like you would with any investment. If it's not going to grow over time, that daily or monthly, and that resulting pool, it's meaningless in 30 or more years if you haven't had inflation. But we have a lot of different kinds of inflation. So again needs to be spreadsheeted so they can see the trade-offs. And then the elimination period is what we... Well, let's, go, let's go back to, you sure. said there are many, many different kinds of inflation yes. riders. So you, yes. you say a few so words you could about buy that. none. You know, you could buy a high, higher daily or monthly benefit with mm-hmm. no inflation. And that might be recommended for someone who is late 60s or early 70s, where inflation would be expensive to add it on. Inflation is a very expensive rider. Mm -hmm. So we know that going into it, and we can see it broken out on the premiums. It many times doubles the cost of Mm -hmm. the base policy. So we don't want to add it willy-nilly, but we also need to add it to move that policy forward. So you can go as low as none. You could do 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, Mm -hmm. all the way up to 5%. Mm -hmm. And a lot of different 
percentages in between, a quarter oh, and really? three quarters. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it gets a little crazy. Right. You could also do inflations that go for 10, 15, or 20 years and then level off. Hmm. So if you're talking to someone maybe 68, maybe you don't want to give them lifetime inflation at 3%. Maybe you want to give them 3%, but only for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think there are some price points there, budget-wise, that allow someone to tailor a policy to keep it you know, within a reasonable price versus if someone's very affluent, the sky's the limit, they might buy a very high level of inflation that goes on for life. And can you get both com- compounding uh, uh, interest and or inflation rider and a simple? Depends on the company, but yes, some mm-hmm. offer 3% simple and 5% simple, mm-hmm. and some will offer various compounds. And the hybrids, too, also have you know their variety of, of options. It's pretty much a medley. But we don't see as much simple inflation on the traditional products Mm -hmm. as we did years ago. We do see more simple and compound on the hybrid products. Okay. And you you mentioned uh, elimination period. Yes. So elimination period, I always say to people, this is your waiting period or your deductible. It's just we're used to more property casualty deductibles where you have a flat dollar amount, 500, 1,000, 2,500. This is explaining to people that there's a certain number of days that they're responsible for in some way, shape, or form before the policy itself is going to start to pay benefits. And generally, you can go from zero to 365 days. And again, you kind of want to look at various price points. 90 is where most people buy. Mm -hmm. Some companies, there's a a savings to go to 365. Some companies, there's no savings to go to three. Yes. And oftentimes people think, what if I bumped it up? Could I save dramatically? And the answer with some companies is is no, you will not save dramatically. But some it is. Yeah, it's substantial. So I think, again, if the financial advisor, which many times this product gets referred to specialists from people like yourself, estate and elder law attorneys, and financial advisors. That's really where the, the referrals come from. You might be from your property casualty agent, might be your accountant, but most of the time it comes up when you're doing financial and estate and elder law planning. Mm-hmm. So when it comes up, those professionals are the ones that weigh in oftentimes on some of these spreadsheets that we create to say, yes, I think you can handle 180 days. Yes, I think you could do 365 no, I think you should go with 90. So Yeah, my think it was always to go, if it saved money, to go for the longer elimination period because, uh, especially today, the people who are buying the policies can afford to pay for a year. Right. It's the right. longer term that's, that could be problematic. Right. And that's why each company is different. And when you realize that some companies, there's almost no savings to go from 90 they, to 365. They may as well do 90. Right. And you don't want to be recommending that because I think, you, you know, there's always the malpractice concern of the family, not so much the person, because the person's going to go on claim and right. someone's <laughs> going to figure it out. The kids are the ones that say, you know, what the heck happened yeah. here? Why are we waiting a year? Yeah. When it looks like from this spreadsheet, you know, it was $100 difference kind of a thing. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. If you're interested in Harry's book, Get Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning, please visit margolis.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S.com. Ask Harry is a production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.